0: You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural
1: skills, passions, and interests. Now, here's your host, Dirk Novell. Hello, everyone. This is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. On with me today is Christine Moreland. Christine, welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me today, Dirk. You're welcome.
1: Um, uh, Christine and I, I've known Christine back in the day. I think it was like maybe eight, seven years into my mortgage industry. I met Christine and we share the mortgage world. Uh, We both. She's been really good at it. I know she's very successful. Um, But what I brought her on today was really to talk about the world of nonprofit. And it's an interesting thing to consider because Christine, again, was very good at what she she's still in lending. But she's very passionate about the nonprofit, and I think it's something that's important to watch and listen to because you'll see an energy shift, I'm sure, when she's talking about what she does in nonprofit versus closing mortgage loans for clients, even though she loves it and she's good at it. It's just not the same. So, Christine, why don't you, in your own words, just give the audience a little bit of insight into what the world of nonprofit means and what exactly you do?
0: Yeah, thank you Dirk. Um the world of nonprofit, what does that mean? That's a big question. Um it means that I think that you can carry through your passions while lifting up others that are in need. Personally, that's my viewpoint. Um I I appreciate the way that the nonprofit world allows you to connect with the community that are in greatest need often. Um but it's also unique. The nonprofit world, um, I think a lot of people have misconceptions of it and don't realize how vast it is and how many people are actually engaging in it. Um, and so my commitment to the nonprofit world is making sure that I'm continuously connecting the community uh, to those in greatest need. That's kind of my motto.
1: So okay, so there's different ways to there's different nonprofit uh niches or types or areas yep. of need. Um, is it typical, I would assume, to gravitate towards one that you might have an emotional tie to?
0: I would say so. So my example would be this, I entered, um, my father's been homeless my entire life ever since I was a young girl. And ideally, I wasn't really interested in getting involved with the homeless community, you know, as a teenager, maybe even early in my 20s. But I wanted to kind of meet the need, I think it was a way of filling this gap in my heart, or, you know, this bleeding feeling of how can I fix it without having to touch it. And it was interesting, because at the time, I was in the you know, working at a mortgage company. And I just felt this desire, Um, to understand how I could help him, just my father, without getting involved. And so I um, took a passion of wanting to get people to do a coat drive. It was pretty basic, right? I started with a very small coat drive um, and started connecting those coats to homeless people. That was kind of my catalyst of change, and slowly um, through that and the connections of that, I started seeing what I was capable of and who I could actually help. And it wasn't about helping my father anymore. Um, and that's where that nonprofit feeling kind of grew.
1: Yeah. I think back in the day, I remember donating uh, yeah. Jack to, oh, to you. Um, so people are kind of like tuning in to listen to the learn about nonprofit. I, I, I guess let's just kind of get right into it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw out some just assumptions. You can tell me if I'm kind of on track or not. But you know, in mortgage lending, we do our thing. We go home. Uh, in, in nonprofit, like the emotional um, curriculum that you go through, it's it's got to be taxing. I guess one of my questions is with homelessness, and I know you're involved with human trafficking right now. Like, how do you se- how do you separate that when you go home? I know you have two two boys. Like, how do you keep it? I mean, I I just I would have a hard time. The
0: hard part, though, and the reason why often so many people go into the nonprofit world because they're trying to fuel their empathic heart or whatever that desire is that helps um, them believe in themselves, right? So my work in the nonprofit world, when I am able to connect a human to services that changes their life, um, it, it fuels something in me. So I I know that the emotional toll it takes on me is pretty heavy. But the opposite of what the nonprofit world allows me to feel about myself giving back to others kind of surpasses that emotional toll it takes, if that makes sense. I get up in the morning with this crazy fuel that lights my fire of like, who needs me today and how can I help them? Um, but I think also, too, just to this point, you know, my nonprofit world's always been with the homeless sector, homeless sector. I entered into a, a small phase of doing nonprofit work with the animals. So I went over to Pesado Safe Haven for a little bit and was, I'm uh, gonna start trying to help drive funding there. And emotionally I couldn't do it. The animals just took a toll on me. And so I think when you're going into nonprofit and you're wondering, it's picking out, you know, what is your passion that fuels it? And making sure it gives you enough of that fuel that it can overcome that emotional side. Does that make yeah. sense?
1: Oh, that makes, you know, that's interesting. I never that thought about. it. I like it. And then I would think sometimes they find you, the causes.
0: Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. And, you know, because the nonprofit world is actually very small. I, I You know, you can... Um, uh, People form their own, but a lot of organizations were all kind of tied together. Um, I've been an advocate for many organizations and um, somebody who I... Somebody who can go in and critique different nonprofits and seeing what's working and what's not working. And I think oftentimes um, what doesn't work in a nonprofit is that they're not operated like businesses. And we have to sometimes it's just the social experiment, right? Like I'm gonna start this nonprofit, look at me go. It's you know, the more we love or whatever it looks like. And it just becomes a social experiment, and that can be taxing on the founder or the director, right? Because it, it's not built as a business. And so my one piece of caveat would be, build your nonprofit as a business. Make sure that you are, are doing it that way um, to alleviate some stresses.
1: Yeah, I mean, also it could affect, I, I would assume, affect your family, your, your partner, your husband, your wife, your kids. Um, yeah. And I say that because if you're listening and you're interested and you're tuning in, um, I guess the question is, you've seen people like yourself enter into nonprofit, you've worked with people alongside them. Are there similar types of personality traits or qualities that are uh, that help people do well in this versus maybe you've seen people that shouldn't be a nonprofit for X, Y, Z?
0: That's a great that's a really good point. And I will say that, yes, but there's different operations in a nonprofit world. Right. So I think that there's a lot of people who assert themselves into a nonprofit because they think they know the answer right? And that's not necessarily always what nonprofits looking for is an answer. They're looking for the assistance piece. I would say a lot of corporate America should lean on the director's boards of nonprofits. It's a great way for you to leverage your corporate um, community, if you will, and drive funding and such. And you can help lift up a nonprofit that way. But I would be careful sometimes about your why. If the person has uh, not the right why connected to the nonprofit, it could be a detriment. Big time.
1: Interesting. So that's that's so someone wants to come in and fix maybe some of these can't be fixed. They just need help and assistance.
0: Yeah, because sometimes it's just an on it's a long ongoing campaign of work. Right. I mean, it's some things are never just going to go away. And so when people come in with this attitude, like I'm going to fix it because I'm in the nonprofit world, I can fix this. It's just not the case. You and The other point to this is nonprofit world, you must be patient. It's a very, you must be patient for real change. You must be patient to advocate. You must be patient with the people you work with. You must be patient with funding. I mean, a lot of it comes from grant work and relying on private sectors and such, and that can be difficult.
1: You know, a couple of years ago, so I have a stepdad who's in the newspaper industry and they did a big series on the homelessness in seattle and i'm pretty close to him so we have these conversations and i was i say this because i want your feedback i was blown away everyone has a thought like everyone bitches about this or that but when he started talking about the homelessness what they found out was i mean there's literally like seven eight nine different reasons so you can't Tack homelessness with one solution right, it could be uh, you know mental illness, it could be abuse, it could be uh, drugs, it could be a lot of things. Um, yeah and I mean this is i'm preaching to the choir but it's interesting because you, you must deal with people who think they have answers, but when you really understand the situation it's pretty complex.
0: It's very complex. And then and, and the part that I appreciate about the nonprofit part that I do and where I really thrive is making sure that people are fully really educated, right? Because there's such misconceptions and wrong narratives, like these people chose to be there or, you know, it's not about the drug use. It very much is about the drug use. Drugs and mental health go together. Those type of things. This housing first concept. I mean, uh, good God, Seattle, we couldn't have done, gone more wrong with that statement, right? Um so I, I I think that yeah, I mean that's sorry, stumbling on my words a little bit that's with okay. that one. Um because- no, it's fine. There's not, there is just not one answer. And that's the interesting thing is when we have in this nonprofit sector, um, for example, I get a call for, there's a young woman and a child and they are, you know, homeless. Christine, can you help them? I'm a nonprofit that works with um, sex trafficking, for example, right? I can't help them directly, but I can connect them to the services that can help them directly. But before I do that, I need to find out their why. Why are they out there? What happened? And, you know, in this case, it was was an abuse of domestic violence where the husband beat up the, the wife and she thought the best way was to escape and when she escaped they went to a shelter where a man then turned and ended up doing some things right and so there's yeah. just more to the story and that's that's the the part that we did kind of dive into
1: always yeah I mean there's always more to the story <laughs> I mean
0: Yeah. And an astronomical Um, amount of money being thrown at this story that shouldn't be right. I mean, funding needs to be reallocated to the nonprofits are really doing the real work and not hiding behind, you know, King County Housing Authority. Did I say that?
1: That's okay. So let's, I mean, let's, this podcast, let's go there. So like, just give us a little insight. Is the whole housing first thing, can you elaborate on what exact? Is that people saying we just need to create homes for these people? and right. they think yeah. that magically they'll stay in these homes?
0: Yep. stability, create stability for them with a house, you know, housing, I'll just speak to one organization called DESC um, and they're a nonprofit organization that receives most of their funding from King County. Um, and they're the ones that are coming into your communities and building out the hotels, right? So we're just putting, we're taking people out of camps. So they've been living in encampment for, let's just say 12 months, six months, 12 months. They've been living in a tent. They've been smoking drugs off of a little piece of foil. They haven't been maintaining their mental health. They're basically a detriment to themselves right? Mentally, physically, um, and to the community. But DESC is good with that. It's okay. We'll just go ahead and put them in a room and we close that door. And that means that we've done the right thing by them because we've provided them housing first. Yet they most often die behind those closed doors. They most often struggle or they end up back out on the streets, right? They're not receiving wraparound care. They're not getting mental health first. Um, My belief is that everybody needs to be detoxed and then they need a long-term mental health program. Being on the streets creates mental health crisis, regardless if you were ever um, said that you had bipolar, schizophrenia, or any of that. It's just a trauma that's wrapped around, and then housing comes into play, and it needs to be supported. It's, and that, that's why with our five-year strategic plan and $12 billion, you know, it's the same strategic plan we had 10 years ago. But our homeless sector right now is very different than it was before. We have an epidemic going with this fentanyl crisis.
1: It's, it's terrifying so much so much there i'm just thinking uh <laughs> sure. i i i mean i'm i'm assuming a lot of times some solutions are what translates to what makes us feel better so we don't have to drive on i-90 and see all, like a lot of the solutions are to get them out of there so you hear less people bitching and whatever about how our city of seattle is whatever turned into like i would assume that these are short-term solutions to appease the public or whatever. But like what you talked about, what goes on behind that closed door is no different than what's going on in the streets. Um, I've always thought, like if I was super, super wealthy, I don't think this is an excuse, but I I would love to create these places. I mean, I'm kind of contradicting myself, but to take these people to places, but also have all the services and 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 all the people there you know, uh, you know, everything from, we need I mean, crisis
0: centers. they just, we need crisis centers They there's so much funding that's been provided. Right. And it's misallocation of the funding. It's going on all the wrong hands. So nobody's doing the real work. And if we had wraparound care like that, Dirk, then okay. people would actually see effective help. And that's, that's the problem right now is nobody wants to be out there on the street, smoking this fentanyl and doing what they're doing. Right. Most of the time, when I walk up to a human and say, do you want detox? They'll go with me. But then what do we do next? What's the next system? Right. And the problem is, is because the funding hasn't been allocated properly. There's no next, the next is putting them behind a closed door. And that, cause that's what Seattle's created.
1: And that's just not, it's just not going to work. You know? So why is the allocation of the funding? So effed up?
0: Well, I think what happened in my personal opinion is that King County took it over from the cities, you know, and so now that we've got King County in there being the authoritative figure. um, I'm probably going to get a lot of dump on for this and a lot of heat there, but it's okay, Um, you know the people who are running this housing authority are not educated on what it takes to actually make real change. They haven't been doing the work for 20 years like I have, right? They haven't been in the trenches. There are people who may have had lived experience for six months living in a tent in Seattle and somehow now they think that they can teach people how to help humans. It's a lot of entitlement going on in our cities, a lot of entitlement and a lot of little bit of work, right? We're allowing these people to just openly smoke drugs. We are, you know, and then we are driving to them and giving them food and water and all the things to keep them enabled to do this. And we don't have anybody that has a voice of reason. It's ridiculous, you know? And I mean, I just submitted for funding from King County. We'll see if it ever happens to build a um, small, tiny village. And the intention there is to have it run as a 90 day clinic with wraparound services. Like you're talking about where they're detox mental health. And then we're getting them leveled up in 90 days to actually be in supported housing. And that's the only way we're going to be able to clean these streets. The other way we can do it is open up Safeco Field like we were going to do for COVID and run a big fat detox center for 90 days and sweep the streets quick. And that, you know, I mean, that's effective, too. And that would take some of the, you know, National Guard, bring them in like we have an epidemic here. More people are overdosing than ever before. It's almost less of a homeless crisis right now, to be perfectly honest with you. I was working in an encampment in Burien. There's 48 people in there. The average age was 30 to 25, 25 to 30. All of them could give me their parents' names and phone numbers. And most of these kids are runaways. Most of these kids just wanna party. And this partying isn't the same partying as before. You know, I used to go out on the streets and run outreach teams for many, many years, as you know, and we were serving veterans and people down on their luck and people who lost jobs and mothers with kids. And now I am serving addiction, trafficking, and it's really terrifying. And King County, you're right, the way they can justify their numbers and their funding is the more people inside. So the more people they put inside, the more money they get.
1: Is there anyone that's doing it right? Any city or jurisdiction?
0: Oh yeah, I, w- I would say that um, San Antonio is probably on the top of the list of, of doing it right. Um, I, I would I would say out, out of our country <laughs> as well. Um, I haven't done as much investigative work as I probably should, but Colorado is also one of the top that I think is doing a really good job. And it really just does it. it, it are we, we are just allowing the wrong people to run these organizations politically, and which I tr- tried really hard not to get involved with.
1: Yeah, I mean, kind of behind the scenes, if you're listening to Christine and you're watching, it's like, be prepared. If you're thinking about getting involved with something, um, the politics and the BS and just, there's stuff you got to deal with and there's yeah, stuff that you're not going to fix.
0: Yeah, not sorry to cut you off, but I think the reason why I started my nonprofit and why I continue to do the work is because there is so much injustice, right? With the actual work. And so somebody like, if you are ever thinking about like, man, I want to solve that or I could, I could help here, do it because it, there's so much other red tape and boundaries around working in you know these fields where if you just start your own thing and dream it and believe it, you can really do it and, and it lifts so many other people up. You can inspire people by doing this real work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just listening and I'm thinking, okay, so I was in technology. I worked for Mark Cuban, Yahoo, and then I decided... I wanted to be a psychologist and i wanted to work with kids so i went back to school and i wasn't the greatest student uh, but i had a 4.0 after two and a half years it was a doctorate program a seven year program and that's when i got into lending because i needed to pay the bills and i remember doing these case studies of like what would you do if you're working with a a kid that's getting abused and i knew nine out of ten times i would go knock on the door and kick the living you know what out of the dad i mean i just my temperament is like I, I realized I couldn't do this job
0: because
1: yeah. I just didn't, I, I just, you know, and I'm not an out of control kind of guy, but I just, you know, I've got a heart and, and so listening to you right now, I'm thinking this is not for everybody.
0: No, no, not, not for the faint of hearts at all. No, It's also, it's also not for everybody. Cause like I said, if you, if you can't, you have to be able to control your passion as well, right? Because mm-hmm. then it could be a detriment and start to work against you. And for like, for myself, I am, I am very much um uh what would be the right word how could I say this I am triggered often in my work very triggered where I have to take 5 seconds to sit back and go okay the man that just beat this woman and now she's in you know in this homeless encampment my first thought is kill him it all should be you know all the things but then I have, have to readjust my thinking because I've made a commitment to this community to understand and so some part of me needed to understand like what happened to him to create this monster, right? And so what kind of love and care and help can we give him? And I know that sounds crazy, but it is part of my work. And so I humbly have to consciously think that every time I encounter the evil, I have to understand where the evil came from and I need to figure out if I can, if I can help the evil. If I can determine both those things aren't capable of, I have to, I walk and like.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there is a, sorry to do this on the fly, but there is a quote, that make, makes me think so much of what you just said that i think do you know who victor frankl is
0: i don't know uh
1: you should look him up he's he was in a a camp uh he was a jewish man that was in a camp in oh, okay. but um he's got this quote and i just i have got to find it um Sorry. um.
0: Fine. Here's another example, too. Um, A lot of people are always saying, you know, because I work in some of the sex trafficking organizations, anti sex trafficking. And, you know, Christine, how do you feel about the pimps? Like, gosh, doesn't that just make you crazy? Like, and I said, but how do you think they got there? they're oftentimes groomed into those positions as well. And so we have to de-groom that from them. Oftentimes their dads were pimps. Sometimes it's all, you know, and so yes, uh, you know, you want to kick the whatever out of them and you want them to go away, but you also have to be very understanding and use your own
1: that way. I remember I, we had a friend over uh, and the topic of dog fighting came up and I, I love animals. And I remember when the Michael Dick thing came out, I was just really angry. I was triggered. In, and by the way, I love that word. I'm yeah. triggered often. Uh, and I was very vocal about it. And the person had a very different because uh, he had been in an environment where that was common. And that was often the way to pay. I mean, I don't know, pay the bills, eat, whatever. And And so like, it was hard for me to really like, accept that because like, anytime someone's being hurt, or I just I can't, but you have to be able to look at things differently. So, here's this quote Between stimulus and response, so when you're triggered and then you react, kind of like road rage, mm-hmm. uh, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Oh, um, that's so good. Yeah. But I, isn't that great? I mean, perfect. It's like I, I find as I get more evolved that sometimes. The longer that before I react, when I try to really think like you're talking about this pimp, we don't know what the pimps upbringing was or a murderer or whatever. It's so hard to to look at it through that lens, but But
0: your mindset that way. Yeah. And, I, and I'm going to say this maybe you go maybe this will be understood right or wrong i walk around and, and serve in a world that is incredibly depressing sad emotional hard all of those things right and it could wipe me out and and and, the, and surrounded by so much evil so if i did not take the time to sit back and really understand the why behind what created the human that i visualize as evil and, and, and then be able to justify how they got there, I would be terrified to be running around in a world of just pure evil, right? So I, I do know that most of the people that are performing these evil acts are fueled by grooming, drugs, desperation, past traumas, all these things. And so those are the layers we have to unpack and digress and work on. One of my favorite humans, Johnny Jones his crimes are so bad and they were committed at 17 years old. Right. And if, if I was to leave him in his narrative of those evil crimes and that evil person he was, I would never have found this beautiful Johnny, but I also had to figure out what had him do those crimes and they were, they were done as a young child. So there's just this, all these levels of misconception too. And thing. yeah.
1: Okay. So let's get into your, your career, your job in terms of what is it like, like, walk us through i mean i always use the analogy or metaphor i don't even know the difference between those two things i should probably at age 53 figure out yeah. what the hell the difference is but i'll just say a metaphor for like you know a piece of pie is yeah. is 80 if 70 of your time on the phone helping people 30 10 percent in the field one-on-one like walk us through like what your week looks like or your month or your day
0: Yeah, what I do is pretty unique. And so I I actually work for two nonprofit organizations um, and I'll just speak to the anti-sex trafficking one. I think it's um, kind of more in alignment, Um, but I am their community engagement coordinator. And so it is my job to teach the corporate world or business world how to give back um, to help stop anti-sex trafficking and human trafficking. And so I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is check my email like probably most people and then identify my day. I'm completely... Reliant on my calendar, right? Um, And my first part of my day is just making sure that I'm connecting with humans. Like, do you need a meeting? Um, What does that look like in terms of my corporate sponsors? We're running a very large event right now. Um, And so I'm calling constantly trying to get corporate sponsorships because funding drives nonprofit world, right? We're not selling products. So we've got to sell what we do, our services, Um, And then I transition over to working in the nonprofit of the more we love, and that is outreach work. And so I do direct services. Um, I am somebody who connects the community. Um, And I get calls. This morning, I got a call at 7 a.m. Hey, Christine, I've got a 23-year-old kid down here. He wants to go into detox. Can you help me? Give me 15 minutes. Um, And then I made another call over to the detox facility, got the okay, got his bed, and then I made the call back and, and we got him in an Uber and now he's been uh intake so it's a variety i am never bored
1: yeah no okay so getting back to the corporate part of it um just to kind of pull back the curtains is that hey amazon hey or whatever i don't know who your hr i don't know who you're talking to but i work for so and so nonprofit, and like walk us through what that courting or that dating is like as far as Do you, you know, a stat, do you just cold call or do you have, do you know who you're calling
0: into? Well, I don't necessarily cold call. So I spent a lot of time educating myself on corporate social responsibility. And I think that's a really big, it's a big world, corporate social responsibility, but it's also something that I'm so grateful we have. And so what I generally do is I research large corporations to figure out what their corporate social responsibility is. And if it's in alignment with something that I'm doing or tackling or my needs, then I will directly um, associate a campaign to them. So for example, there is a salon on Main Street in Bellevue. I um, know for a fact that there's a lot of trafficking going on in Bellevue, Washington, a lot of um, international trafficking, sex trafficking, all the things. So my campaign that I put together was a pitch to this, um, it's called House of Hebe, which is a salon and then you know other organizations on Main Street to um, have them take a rest on Main, a campaign where they can give back a portion of their proceeds to our organization to help us give more services to the the survivors coming out of that. And so I campaign targets based on either geographically what's going on in their world, or I campaign target based on what their corporate social responsibility is. For example, Facebook's corporate social responsibility is to protect the internet and what have you. Um, And so I went to them and asked them to campaign with us to protect young kids from being exploited. So things like that lots of research cold calling is not advised it just looks like you're asking for money (laughs) i look a little desperate
1: what about okay so this is interesting is there now a title or a a specific group or division in a company i mean is this part of every company
0: CSR. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's part of everybody. It's actually really interesting though, Dirk. And I want more people to engage in CSR in their companies because you you should know what your company's CSR is, corporate social responsibility. Microsoft has it. Facebook has it. I mean, small insurance company has it. And when you go on there, it's interesting because your company does specific things for their social responsibility. Let's just say they choose, you know, climate change or whatever. There's things that they're doing and you can get involved in within your company. And that's the part, this education and awareness part, right? And so that's why I love being a community engagement coordinator, because I can be like, did you know your company wants to stop human trafficking? And they're like, wait, what? Which then provides them a a window into helping us. And then the next level would be I I come in and do speaking engagements and I teach people about the topics that they are um, wanting to be aware of or be responsible for. So like a Facebook would call me in and I would speak to their employees about what they could do to give back to the community. Right. And so that's a really vital um, way for us to engage.
1: Okay. So I mean, for listening, it's Research just spending a little time, maybe it's one on one, maybe it's some phone calls and then it's actually the the ability, the likability component someone's gotta you have to speak well, you have to represent yourself well you get the invite to come in and present and then you do a good job presenting and then what is the. um, Return on like the ROI is that when a company says we've got this budget and we'd like to take 15% and okay. So that's the end game.
0: Yep, allocating their funding over to us certainly, yeah. or direct services. You know, I I get really passionate about also going in on the CSR side and finding out like what can you give back as a human with your hands and feet. Um, we have so many talented people in this world, right? And so like I'll I'll use a dental office that I worked with in this past um, couple of years. I had a dentist office corporate social responsibility. I went into them and I was like, man, you you guys want to? The dentist had said I would love to give back at some point. You know, I don't. I don't really, I don't want to necessarily just give money, but I'd love to do people's teeth. And so his corporate social responsibility was giving back to people who got out of recovery. Um, So they've been detoxed, they've been clean, they were in recovery. And then he was just donating his time and helped them fix their teeth from what we used to call meth mouth, right? And so corporate social responsibility doesn't just always have to lie on funding. Oftentimes I'm going in there and engaging in conversation to find out how I can lead them to their passions of helping other humans.
1: Okay. So again, I'm going down this road of trying to like, we're talking a lot about some cool, cool stuff, powerful stuff, but I also really want to get clear on what it's like. So is this like, for example, compensation, is this an hourly type of job? Are you, I know it's not, uh, you know, you've done really well in lending where we can make good money and then nonprofit, you know, you typically don't do nonprofit to get rich, uh, financially might rich in your heart. But like how typically is compensation within the nonprofit world?
0: You know, um, I, this is probably the silliest thing ever, but I think um, I'm at $24 um, doing a very large corporate engagement responsibility in nonprofit, right? It's not lucrative. And so if you are going to get into nonprofit for money, I, I wouldn't suggest it. However, there is ways to create, you know, your own, your wealth through that. It just is unique. Um, you are a slave to your, your time. I mean, nonprofit isn't something where you just kind of dip in and you dip out. You, you've got to be committed with your time and so I'm thank, thank, thank you for saying that I had the mortgage you, you want to make sure you got stability before you go in this right um i certainly did not do it for the money um
1: <laughs> at all no no I, I understand i just think it's important that Very. it's also maybe not such a deterrent it doesn't have to be there are ways you can maybe have money and have a quality of life that you want and still be in the world of nonprofit maybe there's a balance of you know, being a firefighter and, and, or being a lender or being a realtor or being whatever. So it's not like you have to be poor if you want to be in nonprofit.
0: Nope, not at all. And that's where I mean, I led with uh, often most of my work was in the mortgage business. And then my my side stuff was the nonprofit. So I had a way to feel my pocket where I fueled my my heart and my passions. And and I think that's again, that's why most people get into nonprofit work. It's a passion piece of it. But but you know, on your when you're working on the daily, if you think your passion is going to be fulfilled every day being a nonprofit, it's not it is a very frustrating world because it takes a long time to get real change to happen, right? And then most often people are coming into nonprofit for change. Um, so you have to be consistent too. That's a key component of this. A lot of people think it's kind of lack of a la daisy, whatever that word is. Is that the right word? Lack of la daisy? It works for me. Kind of like ooh do, do. but it's not because building relationships just like anything, just in sales or any of that, you've got to build relationships in nonprofit too. People have got to believe in what you do. I mean, and they really need to understand it too. And and most people, um, you know, don't have the time to always dive in. So you've got to be consistent with your time giving to them to teach them. Yeah, it's a lot of work. About- I probably work about twelve hour days, and and that's because the need is so high. And I'm working at minimum.
1: I get it. What about the quality of life? Like you have two, two boys, you go away for a weekend and you're trying to be present. And like, how hard is it to separate? Like, is your phone always on or is there someone that you can rely on and take some time off?
0: Um, I'm probably not the best example of this, to be honest with you. My phone is always on. I have a very weird sense of responsibility to people, and I get a heavy sense of guilt if I don't perform. And so that's on me, and that's something I need to work on. My the balance is is very tough uh, because you definitely take the stories and the work home with you, even if you are on vacation. I don't have a balance from it, but I do incorporate my kids in it. They do a lot of the work with me. And so I can find time that way um, Yeah, I And to be selfish. And so you've got, I've got to be careful with that.
1: I would suppose, and I'm certainly not giving you advice because, mm-hmm. but you're probably when you are able to give yourself space or a break. Mm-hmm you are a better version of yourself when you come back to the trenches. Right. So I would think that there's a happy middle ground there for you to, and again, I'm not telling you to turn your phone off. You do what you got to do. You're
0: actually speaking to, uh, you know, on last Saturday, I just had to take a paddleboard and park it in the middle of the lake and leave my phone in my car. And I, I just had to shut the world out. And it was because it was getting so loud. And that's That's what I, that's what I'll say. Oftentimes it can get so loud in my mind that I do, I will, but it, yeah, I don't do it often enough.
1: I think, isn't that what wine's for?
0: Well, they, that's what they say, but I can't wake up fuzzy every day either.
1: <laughs> I'm, ki- I'm kidding. You know?
0: And I'm then kidding. if I go into some of these places smelling like the wine where I'm trying to get these kids
1: to detox,
0: opposite effect. No.
1: No, a little bit of a contradiction. What um, you have under- an
0: incredible support system, Dirk. I really do. And I bet
1: you do. Yeah. What has surprised you? So, like, your biggest, like, oh man, I didn't see this coming.
0: Um, how many doors you have to knock down to get what you want, to be honest with you. Uh, there are so many layers to the nonprofit world that I was shocked that people don't just believe in my why, like my dad was homeless. So this is why I do it. And then you got to still prove yourself. It's a very, um, prove yourself world. And a, that's a hard place to be when you're driving out of passion, right? Like, how come you don't believe that this is? Cause I'm, go- I'm doing it with my heart. So you should just feel.
1: So yeah. if you're shy introvert, maybe not persuasive, this might not be I me, mean, maybe your role might not be the right role, but I mean I, I, I can't imagine being quiet uh, yeah, but you know
0: what is a great role for that person? Grants that? and writing, grant writing. I mean, those are that's such a vital piece that is lacking right now in the nonprofit world is finding really good grant writers. And if people want to get into the nonprofit sector, there's so many different avenues, right? I mean, just go into any of those like monster, whatever the job hunt is and type in nonprofit and you'll see it's very different. A nonprofit can it can fill anybody's appetite. It's just where do you where do you fit? you know, and that's, I could never be on the grant writing side, but it's so critical for real change, you know, or the, that, that kind of um, part I'm on the voice side. No, down I, the side. That
1: is interesting. I, I, a question's coming up and I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. So it doesn't offend anybody, but like in lending, you know, we have people that do what we do and they say X percent is going to go. And a lot of times it's, it's, mm. it's genuine, but a lot of times it's just marketing and it's, Trying to differentiate. How often do you find yourself working with corporations that are saying all the right things because it sounds good, but they don't really walk the walk? Like, would you say, and I don't want you to pinpoint any specific company, but would you say a lot of companies are doing this because it looks good or would you say- OK,
0: 100 percent. Yes, because when it comes down to the real work, they're not doing it. You know, it's it's that quiet thing. It's it's exactly what started me in this. I didn't want to touch my father or the thing, but I wanted to find a way to help. And it almost made me look good. Right. I read I wrote on that for a while. It made me look good doing that work. And that felt good. I think the thing with corporations, too, and we have to remember is it's tax write offs. There's always an agenda. and so and that's disheartening for somebody like me. I want to work with really good people and I want to work with people that believe in what we're doing, our passion our why. And we also have to remember that there's evil on the other side too. But I'll take your money. don't don't question that because we'll utilize the service. I thought you were going to ask me the question about how do we know that the dollars are being spent wisely in nonprofit world. So <laughs> let's go there. Yeah, well, and I'm glad I'm glad that Catalyst in my mind to change that topic because the truth of the matter is, please do your work on the nonprofits. That's why I said I think they should be ran as a business. They need to be fully transparent. Um, that's why we have so much of this lack of funding accountability in Seattle's world right now, King County and all that. Um, so run it as a business. Be transparent um, because there's lots of ways to make sure organization like. Nonprofits take money in. How are they being held accountable? So do your homework when you're working with them. Do your homework. Checks and balances.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you emotionally, the I don't watch TV much, but back in the day, those commercials would come on. Oh, McLaughlin. So yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I, I I forgot the name of it, but when some kids are born with the lip um. Oh, yeah, the stuff palette. And like, I want to help out, you know, and then you see, and then I've always been like, but. Is if I send my, you know, the animals, will my money go to the right? And I just, it's, it's, it's sad to if you think that-, have
0: that feeling. It's probably not going to the right place. That's all I can say, you know. And I think that's why um, I, I'm so vocal about all this because it, it, because there is such a miscalculation of funding and and there people really need the funds in certain areas. And if we did it right, we would do so good in this world. But we're not doing it right. Yeah, not even. No, really you problem.
1: should speak your mind. I mean, I'm certainly with all the agendas pushed on me in the last few years, I've been very uh vocal about my freedom and what oh. I want to what I want to put in my body and what I don't want to put in my body. And I have no problem uh being vocal about it because huh. we all deserve to have that freedom. Um as we wind down, uh and if we're talking to an audience is someone that's just kind of coming out of school, high school, maybe they don't want to college, maybe grad school. And they're like, I really feel like my heart and soul is meant to be a nonprofit. Is there any last words or advice that you might want to share with our audience just to help them make better decision?
0: yeah I, I will never forget meeting a mentor in the nonprofit world so find find the nonprofit that you would think would be most in alignment and speak to somebody in there of of director capacity. find a mentor in the nonprofit world somebody who can help guide you. I was so blessed to find. Um, the president of the union gospel mission early on. And he led me well in this world. It's a, it's a, it's a big world, but find a mentor. It's all I can say. And I I'm great. I would be open my world to anybody to mentor them in the nonprofit space if they ever wanted to, but a mentor. I love that.
1: I was just at their auction and um, no good. One of my close friends guy named Steve Lampkin is uh, on the board and Matt Lorch was the auction guy for that and uh i i was blown away i mean i've been to a few of those and i know that you've been involved with them for a long time uh they have a very religious component don't they
0: yeah they do yeah union gospel mission's always been driven by the christian faith
1: and i'm you know i grew up i mean i don't have a problem with it but i was i was surprised there's a lot of praying and prayers and i was like oh you don't see this very often and i think it's great but um i know it's a very strong organization um I'm going to ask you a random question just kind of off topic because I ask everybody this so let's just say you weren't doing nonprofit let's Mm -hmm. just say you lost your license in lending or whatever you just couldn't do it, Uh, Mm -hmm. is there a dream job like is there something that you could if you could do anything. Mm -hmm. um, You ever think like that
0: yeah i um i well i would initially i wanted to be a criminologist but um i kind of do that now so if there was i would want to be one of those hotel connoisseurs that travels around all the five stars and and test out the people the service <laughs> that kind of person <laughs> travel uh, agent of sorts yes
1: so travel live the life Yes. Uh, I love. And I asked that question because it's always interesting
0: opposites, right? Nonprofit to spoil me.
1: (laughs) No, it's funny to hear people's responses. A lot of times people are saying I'm doing it, but I try to push them and get a different answer. But um, Christine, thank you so much. I think this was really interesting. Thank you. I think the thing that I got out of it is like it is not a um, part time gig. Like if you're going to run this race, you've got to be committed to running it like it's not something you can fake. Love um, that. and so think hard and long about, and like you said, get with a mentor early on, go sit in a board meeting or go walk the streets, go bring food like you did with more. I mean, there's a lot of things you did. I think those would be really valuable uh, things to do for someone that is contemplating getting into this. Absolutely,
0: thank you okay. so much. This is great,
1: thanks, Christine.